God, I pray that we would live to love you, uh, that we would live just to glorify your name, uh, just to share the passion uh, that, that you have for yourself, that you show us, uh, that we would share that with the world. I pray that you speak through Michael this morning, uh, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, just to hear your words, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brandon and Prob, and thank you, Brandon, for last week for sharing with us and helping us see kind of the two sides of worship, the, uh, the emotion and the truth, uh, both of which we have to have or we lose something. Um, it is good to be back. We had a, a great time. Thank you for allowing us to, to be gone for a couple of weeks. We had a great time in Texas seeing family and friends and getting my fix of Horizon. <laughs> And so after, after that, being able to be able to do this and not be interrupted at all, it's good to be back to the mountains. And uh, it is really good to see each and every one of you. Um, we missed you. Uh, we miss being here. Uh, we, love, uh, we love our church and we love you. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, we are continuing uh, this morning uh, our walk through Colossians, our slow walk through Colossians uh, series called Don't Think Outside the Box. Um, and we are, tell you where we are, beginning of, of chapter 3. You can turn there now, be turning to the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to look at four verses this morning, and then I'm going to attempt something that I've been unsuccessful at for the last several weeks to tackle a couple of bigger chunks the next two weeks, and then uh, the first week in August, we will then slow way back down, talk about uh, marriage, husbands, wives, parents, kids, family, it's been several weeks talking about that and those few verses at the end of chapter 3 of Colossians and then uh, speed back up again and I don't know, we'll finish Colossians at some point in time, I'm assuming. Um, there was something, oh yes, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, Miss Jean is in the process, her and, and Linda in the process of putting together kind of a self-published pictorial directory for us. You are not going to be pressured into buying anything from her. But she would like some family pictures, and so if she has not captured you, then uh, find her after church today or next week, the week after. If, you don't, if you're not happy with what you're wearing today, you think, oh, man, I, I need to put on the coat and tie. <laughs> I don't know we would let you in the pictorial directory, but we might. We would. But uh, Find her and say, I'm ready. And uh, even if you're not ready... We're going to force you to anyway, I think. And then, yes? You could actually, if you have a nice family photo that you would like to send to Margaret with Okay. You could do that also. Excellent. If you have a, a photo and you don't want to, you know, if you're camera averse, then you can uh, email that to Margaret. If you don't know her email address, ask her afterwards or email me and I can give it to you. Um, two weeks from now, on the last Sunday of the month, we're going to have a cover dish, so bring something to share. We will enjoy fellowship together afterwards. Oh, somebody, today when you get home, email me for the, like the fourth time in a row, I've got the last slide on that first song that we sang, Incorrect, and I never remember once we get home. Someone email me today and say, Michael, fix the song slide. I'll know what you're talking about. Someone do that? I may get 10 emails said. That'd be okay. That'd be good. All right. Uh, I think that's everything. So let's, uh, let's turn to Colossians uh, chapter 3. 
and talk about that a little bit. Um, how many of you have either read the book or seen the movie Lord of the Rings? You don't know how much detail to go into here. Most people. Um, Tolkien's classic, uh, there's a, a wizard named Gandalf, and he's just, uh, he's Gandalf the Grey, a wizard among other wizards. Nothing spectacular except he makes great fireworks. But um, about halfway through that, something interesting happens. If you've seen the movie, what you've seen is our culture's attempt to put the focus on maybe the wrong thing. Uh, Gandalf sacrifices himself, so to speak, for the good of his companions. Uh, and they think he's dead, but he's really not. And he, he comes back as not Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White. He's more powerful. He's a little more mysterious. Um, and, and because he kind of now glows, so to speak, he covers himself with his old cloaks. Well, about halfway through the book, he, there's a need to uh, come in and render aid to a king in a, in a certain region who they want on their side. His name is Theoden. And this King Theoden has been deceived. He has been told over and over again that he is really too old to be a king, too old to be a warrior, uh, and his, his kingdom has fallen into ruin. And in the movie... This scene is really a, kind of appears to be all about Gandalf, but in the book, the scene is all about Theoden. In the movie, Gandalf shows up and he throws off his cloak and there's this bright light and he uses his staff and he kind of almost like there's an exorcism. He, and there's some great computer effects, this old guy who's got this long beard and nasty hair who looks like he's about 140, kind of slowly morphs back into this young king and he's all of a sudden powerful and, and great. In the book, though, um, Gandalf shows up and he, he does throw his cloak off, but he, but he talks to Theoden and he, and he says, very pointedly, you've been deceived. Here's the truth. It's time to make a decision. Are you going to continue to believe the lies or are you going to grasp the truth and change the course of history? And Theoden chooses correctly. In, in fact, that's the turning point of the whole book. He ends up leading not one army, but two armies that affect the outcome of, of what happens later on. It really is a rather amazing story. And in the movie, we get lost because it looks like that whole scene is about Gandalf's power. In reality, that whole scene is about a decision that someone made once they were aware of the truth. This morning in Colossians is also a turning point. And it's not like the movie. This isn't the morning where I'm going to show you some grand truth. Or I'm going to throw the cloak off and you're going to go, Oh, I get it. Paul's been talking about the truth since chapter 1. Paul has not let up on the blinding, brilliant white, wonderful light of the gospel, the grace of God and truth. Every sentence he has talked about what God, what Christ has done for you in me. And this morning the issue is not about do you know the truth? The issue is about what are you going to do with the truth? 
It's been three weeks. I'm going to back up and I'm going to read what we did uh, three weeks ago, beginning in chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to read through chapter 3, verse 4. Would you follow along? Um, as I read, I want, you to, I want you to look for some things. He's going to start out the section with, if you've been raised up with Christ. So the three things we're going to talk about today that we're going to answer is, what does that mean, you've been raised up with Christ? What's my response to that? And why should I respond to that? What does it mean? What's my response and why should I respond? Chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning and we thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would open up again our ears and our eyes and our hearts and ultimately our will. That we might make the correct decision based on what you reveal to us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> if you've been raised up with Christ, what does that mean? It's the other side of the coin that we talked about three weeks ago. We talked about if you've died with Christ, and I said what that really is is referring to salvation. We looked at Romans chapter 6. We have identified with Christ in His death, and we are dead to sin. It's no longer master over us. And when we sin, what we're really doing is we're walking up to our old master, we're holding out our wrists, and we're saying, go ahead, put the shackles back on. Now, it doesn't seem like that because temptation is not that overt. It's more subtle. It makes us think that what we're doing is choosing something that benefits us. It's good for us. It feels good or will add value to our lives. We don't actually think when we're getting into sin that we're submitting ourselves to slavery again, but that's what we're doing. And so that was three weeks ago. And now Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, he's not changing the subject. He's still talking about salvation, but it's the other side of the coin. Yes, we identify with Christ in his death and that we are dead to sin, but we also have the wonderful privilege, the wonderful blessings of identifying with Him in His resurrection. His death means that we are really dead to sin. It's no longer master over us. His resurrection means that death no longer has mastery over us. We really are alive. We really are no longer subject to the death that we once were. Yeah, we die. We will die if Christ doesn't come back. But that's not the final answer. It's not the final statement. You and I don't need to fear the grave. 
There's a great story from back in the, the 18th century. John Wesley was going on a mission trip to America to the Indians. On the boat on the way over, there was a storm, and he and his companions literally were scared to death. He thought he was going to die, and he was, in his own words, extremely fearful. There was another group of believers on that ship who he didn't quite understand because they showed no fear at all. In fact, they were singing hymns to God. His response was, I don't know their God. He was a man going on a mission trip, and he came to realize, I don't, I don't think I'm a believer. Because death scares me, and they know something I don't know. What does it mean that, that we are alive with Christ? It means that we don't fear death. It means that we look at this life and we look at what is coming and we say, that's okay because there's something better. Because Christ's resurrection guarantees promises my resurrection. That's what it means to be raised up with Christ. It's, it's victory over death. But it means more than that. It it means security. Paul, uh, in his letter to Ephesians, writes something very similar. He says, you've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. And it's past tense. I'm hoping that the seats in the heavenly places are more comfortable than those. And we think reality is where we are right now, but Reality really is that in God's mind, you're seated with Him in the heavenly places now, and that's security. Think about heaven. There's, a, there's an entrance, but there's not an exit door once we're there. There's security. When Paul writes, if we've been raised up with Him, then we can trust in our security. But it's also transformational. That phrase, if you've been raised up with Christ, means that, that transformation has happened. Um, we read a minute ago in Philippians, Paul says that you are citizens of heaven. When you're a citizen of some place, you adopt its ways. If we all decided we're now going to become citizens of Switzerland, uh, we'd, we'd be forced or made to learn things about the country. We'd, we'd move there. We'd adopt their habits, their styles. That culture would become our culture. So if we really have been raised up with Christ, and we really are citizens of heaven, that is transformational. If we believe that, we will be changed by that. There's a the beginning of Psalm 119 and the, the kind of the third stanza of that. The psalmist says, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Therefore, Lord, teach me your ways. Now, this is a, this is a Jew. And, and he could have said, I'm a, maybe I'm a sojourner in Egypt or I'm a sojourner in Babylon or maybe even I'm a sojourner in Israel. But he says, I'm a sojourner on the earth. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I don't really belong here. Therefore, God, I need to know your ways. I need to be different because I really don't belong here. Recognizing that we've been raised up with Christ is transformational. We're going to talk about that some more 
in just a little bit. So the question is, what is my response? If I buy into that, and if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in the death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then you have been raised up with Christ, and that's a truth that you need to let soak in. Because like we said three weeks ago, if you don't buy into that truth, the rest of this book is not going to make sense. It's not going to work. You will try to use some of the other methods that we use to live the Christian life if that truth doesn't soak in. You'll do what Paul is warning you against. You'll resort to legalism. You'll resort to spiritual pride. You'll resort to focus on sin to try to overcome sin. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work, Paul says in the end of chapter 2, because it doesn't change the heart. This is what changes the heart, the beginning of chapter 3. And this is like King Theon is where we have to make a decision. Am I going to believe it or not? If I believe it, what's my response? He, he tells us the response. He tells us twice. If you've been raised up with Christ, he says in verse 1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And then he repeats himself in different words in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. My response is to, to change the way I think. To change the focus of my thinking. That doesn't sound too hard, right? That, that's fairly easy. That's the hardest thing we do. Because the world says, no, I'd rather you think about this. And we get those messages, that input all the time. And I know it's hard because, because Peter struggled with it. We've talked about Mark chapter 8 before. Um, Jesus is, is about on his way to Jerusalem. And, he, and so he asked the guys, hey guys, who, who do people say that I am? And they list the choices. Ah, some say Elijah, some one of the prophets. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, thinking this is a matching test. Let's see. Jesus, Elijah, no. Prophet, no. Ah, Christ. Checks the box. Right. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, that's right. The problem is, Peter, this isn't a matching test. It's fill in the blank. What does that mean, Peter? And so he begins to explain to Peter what that means. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's not my definition, Jesus. So he rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. Same idea. Peter, you, you've got the right terminology. You use the right lingo. You've been hanging out with me for two and a half years. But your mind's in the wrong place. Because see, when you think of Christ, Messiah, you think of Romans no more. What's in it for me? And that's not where your mind should be. Peter, you're thinking of what benefit is it for you and you should be thinking of how can I glorify God through sacrifice? That's what it means to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And then, not very much longer after that, Jesus gives them a great example of, of what He's talking about. 
John chapter 13, the upper room. They all show up. It's the Passover. Uh, turn there. We, we need to read part of that because that's important. Turn back to John chapter 13 with me. the very beginning, the first four verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come... Notice how many times and what's talked about the idea of knowing. That's, that's what's going on up here in, with Jesus. Knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. So during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. If, if I were him, I would have said, God, these 12 are idiots. They don't get it still. We've been doing this for three years and they don't get it. And one of them's fixing to betray me. He's fixing to turn me over. Is there another way, God, we could do this? This isn't working for me. That's, that was my response. But Jesus had his mind set on something else because he knew his identity. He'd come from God. He knew his purpose. He was fixing to die. And he knew his destination. He was going back to God. His mind was set on things above, not on the stuff that was happening right then and there. And that made all the difference. Because if he'd been thinking really hard about the guy whose feet he was fixing to wash, he was fixing to walk out of the room, and for 30 silver coins fixing to turn him over to the Romans... My guess is he, he might have skipped him. Or when Peter didn't even begin to understand what was happening, tried to argue with him about whether to wash his feet or not, if he was thinking about things on the earth, thinking about what was in it for him, he might have just said, yeah, Peter, you're right. I'll just go to the next guy. But because he knew who he was, because he knew why God had sent him, because he knew where he was going, he knew his purpose, he knew his destination, he was free to serve them. Judas had no control over Jesus. Peter had no control over Jesus. Another practical example. We've been on vacation for two weeks. And when you're on vacation, you have lots of fun, but you're sort of out of your element. You know, it's, it's not my own bed. It's not my own kitchen. It's not my own timetable. And some of you already can pick up on the problem, right? That word that I use three times. And so it's really easy to complain about things sometimes because you're just, it's, my bed's not as comfortable as my bed. And the price of gas has gone up too, and I did and I, my routine's out of whack. But, and when I do that, my mind is set on earthly things. I'm thinking about what's in it for me, what's best for me. But what if, during that process, I just kind of focused on maybe John 13 and thought, you know, I, I know that I'm a child of God. 
And I know that, that my purpose is to bring glory to God through making less of me and making more of Him. And, and you know what? Ultimately, I don't know what heaven's going to be like as far as sleeping and awake, but if there's any sleeping, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to have the most comfortable bed there ever was created. And I can put up with this for two, we two weeks, really? You're going to complain about hardship for two weeks? See, we focus on what's in it for us. Sin slowly begins to creep in. But when we've set our mind on things above, we can put up with and overcome those temptations to complain and, and not bring glory to God through, through sacrifice. set our mind on things above. I'm sorry, we've been raised up with Christ. It's the gospel. It's, it's your salvation. It's secure. It's transformational. What do we do? We, we reorient our minds. We, we think about that example of Christ. Even back in the Philippians 2, right? Who, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the form of a servant. That's what Paul's talking about. We, we focus on glorifying God through making less of ourselves. So why can we do that? Paul gives us some reasons why we can do that. Um, number one, uh, in verse one, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The reason that we can set our mind on things above is because the one who loves us most dearly is there. When I am away from home, I love, I think about home all the time and I can't wait to get home because the one who loves me on this earth most dearly, my wife, who's put up with me all these years, that's where she is. And I love being there. And I love thinking about that place. When I used to teach and was gone all day and hung out with kids whom I loved and teachers whom I loved and administrators whom I loved but who drove me crazy on a regular basis... I just can't wait to be home because I can put all that aside. There's someone who loves me and regardless of what happened, you know, she's there. And I'll get a hug and a kiss when I come in the door and it'll be okay. And so I think about that because I know who's there. We can think about heaven. We can set our minds on heavenly things because the one who loves us most deeply is there. We just need to let that soak in and sink in. The second reason that we can set our mind on things above is found in verse 3 and 4. Again, Paul repeats it twice in different ways. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says in verse 4, For Christ, who is our life? Your life, my life, is bound up in Jesus Christ. See, the deception of sin says, if you do this, you will be happy or fulfilled or complete. You'll be better. The only person who will make you complete, the only thing that will make you complete is Jesus Christ. 
The reason you can set your mind on things above is because that's where your true self is. Your life is hidden with Christ. If you want to know who you truly are, who you are when you're full and complete, you need to set your mind on things above. If you try to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in this life, you are going to be deceived and ultimately let down. You may think you found it for a while. You may think a job or a relationship or an activity or a hobby or possessions make you complete. It's not who you really are. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The fullness of your personality is found when you set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. The third reason that we can set our mind on things above is at the very end. <clears throat> when Christ is revealed, you also will be revealed with Him in glory. See, we, we go through life and we do things hoping that someone will recognize us or pat us on the back or we'll get some kind of fulfillment, some kind of accolade, maybe some kind of power, some kind of pleasure, some kind of prestige. We hope that people will like us and so we, we buy into the world system of relating to people in hopes that it will make us somebody. The question is, will you say no to those things? And the world will say, you can have it now. You can get it now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put it off. You can have it today. And the reason we can set our mind on things above and say no is, is that one day we really will have it all. We really will be glorified. Our Heavenly Father will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's better than anything that anybody on this planet could ever say or give to us. The world says you don't have to wait. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to Postpone pleasure, you can have it now. And the reason that we can set our minds on things above and say no is because we will have it all someday. We will be in intimate fellowship with the Father. And I don't know what a glorified body looks like exactly. I don't know what that means exactly. But it's far better than anything that we have here and now that's temporary and it really doesn't satisfy. In, in the Lord of the Rings, Theoden made a decision. He was in a, a darkened hall with all the curtains blotted out, and he chose to get up and walk outside and in the light make a decision. In fact, in the book, Gandalf's very pointed, let's go outside and we'll talk. And it was there that the decision was made, I don't have to live in fear anymore. We've been exposed to the light. I've been trying to expose you to the light of, of the goodness of God's grace and love for two or three months now. The question is, will you choose to get up 
maybe open the, the blinds, let the light in, and ultimately walk out into the brilliance of the noonday sun. I said, yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, I've, I've patterned my mind to think about things of the earth for so long, but today, today I'm going to begin, as Paul says in, in Romans 2, to no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that happens by thinking on the example of Christ. Sacrifice. His being completely God and yet choosing to become man and die for us. And then just to begin to think about those characteristics that are, that are godly. As we read at the, the end of uh, Philippians 4 in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Will you begin when those thoughts come in that you know you shouldn't think? Will you begin the habit of saying, no. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to focus on where my true identity really lies. My true purpose really lies glorifying and honoring God because He gave everything so that I would have an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we rejoice this morning in Your goodness for us, in Your grace, in Your favor. But God, I I know that I'm going to walk out that door and something's going to happen that will tempt me to again focus on this world. To want to complain, to want to be lazy, to want to compromise, to want to be put out, to be angry, to be selfish. And I'm, God, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's like that in this room. So we, we plead and we ask that your spirit would, would not let these things that we've talked about just kind of flitter away, but that you would, through the power of your spirit in each of us, Remind us of that when we walk out this door. When, when that temptation comes to, to hold out our arms and say, I, I want to be reshackled. God, would you, through your Spirit, strengthen us and empower us to live lives that you have called us to live. And that we would choose to set our mind on things above and not on the things on this earth. God, I thank you that... that we truly can find completeness in You. That You've made us complete. Thank You for the gift of Your Son, our Savior. All praise and honor and glory uh, be to Him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.